Harriet Smith and welcome back to Dietitian Cafe where we discuss the world of nutrition and dietetics. This is part two of our big dietetic debate on the topic of diversity in the profession. In this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by fellow registered dietitian, Tai Ibitoye. Tai is a registered dietitian and doctoral researcher in food and nutritional sciences. She's currently doing research focusing on appetite and dietary intake in older adults. She also has a keen interest in women's health and the nutritional status of minority ethnic groups, specifically black African and Caribbean individuals. In part one, we discussed why the lack of diversity in dietetics is an issue and the extent of the problem. In this part two episode, we're going to explore ways to address the lack of diversity in dietetics on both an individual and a professional level. I hope that you find this episode interesting and useful, and it's a great pleasure to introduce Ty, who's joining us today. Hi, Ty. Hi. So I've been following your journey on social media for a while, and I, I can see that you're a huge advocate for talking about diversity in dietetics. Why are you so passionate about this topic? So when I did my course in dietetics and did my clinical placements, um, I didn't see many people who looked like me. I actually felt like an outsider, if I'm being completely honest. And I wasn't sure how I would fit within the workforce. So anyways, I carried on doing my course and finished my placement as normal. And when I qualified, I just thought to just put myself out there online, on social media um, specifically, because around me and in my community, not many people knew that black dietitians existed, which was quite um, a bit of a shock, if I'm being quite honest, but I did understand why um, they felt that way. Um, So when I put myself out there, um, I received quite a few messages from black student dietitians saying that they feel encouraged and that they feel empowered knowing that there are dietitians out there that look like them in terms of ethnicity. Um, And I'm sure, as you know, social media is such a powerful tool in just connecting people together. And um, I was connected with other black dietitians and dietitians from other ethnic minority groups. And I was actually so humbled to know that there are dietitians out there from different backgrounds. And I just felt like it was just so important that we raise our profile online and in the workforce. You know, typically if you Google what a dietitian looks like or what a dietitian is, you know, you will see a certain image and it was just so important that people know that you know, the dietetics workforce is filled with dietitians from different backgrounds and different cultures. And, you know, as a dietitian, I see patients and clients from different ethnic minority groups. And though as dietitian, the responsibility is on us to ensure that our advice is tailored towards their needs. Um, but, you know, what I noticed was that there wasn't any Um, Well, there wasn't many resources or information out there that took into consideration um, individuals' backgrounds and traditional and cultural diets. And, you know, I often get asked to do a lot of nutrition workshops for groups um, of people from African and Caribbean backgrounds. And in the early stages of my career, it was quite difficult to find resources tailored towards and the black community and so you know I had to take it upon myself to create um, resources tailored towards the community Um, and you know I realized that diversity is not just important within the workforce 
Um, but it's also important in the resources and information we provide and the advice that we are giving as well. And that, you know, we should not only as a collective um, reflect the population we aim to serve, but we should also ensure that the advice we are giving doesn't only just meet the patient or client's dietary needs, but then also their cultural, religious and social needs too. So that's why I'm such you know, a big advocate for um, promoting more diversity within dietetics. But you know, I am not the only one. There are so many other dietitians out there who are on the same page and who are also <clears throat> trying to do the same thing as well. Definitely. And we were really pleased to have chatted to Anjani and um, yes. Catherine in, in episode one and to hear about the great, great work that they're also involved in. Mm-hmm. Could you tell us a bit more about some of the initiatives that you've been involved in personally, um, particularly on your social media platforms to, um, you know, close that gap that you mentioned that you, you identified as a student dietitian and during your, your um, professional years as well? Yeah, sure. So actually, prior to qualifying as a dietitian, um, I was a community and public health nutritionist. So I did a lot of work with charities and non-government organisations who focused on improving the health and well-beings, um, health and well-being of individuals from Black and minority ethnic groups. And so I had to deliver a lot of nutrition education workshops and cooking sessions based on manuals that were given to me <laughs> um, for, for the Black community. And I must admit, at that time, the advice that I was giving and the workshop that I was delivering was very generic. I actually didn't consider, you know, t- traditional diets or um, common food foods that are typically consumed um, by certain communities. Um, and it was actually when I was asked in one um, workshop um, if someone was allowed to eat jollof rice and pounded jam and I realized oh my gosh yes of course you can and and that's when I actually realized that the advice that I was giving and the workshops that I was doing was very based on westernized foods and eurocentric foods and I actually didn't even notice that at that time um so just you know fast forward and I spoke to my manager about this and you know she told me to do some research in terms of finding out um, common traditional foods in different cultures, different religion, and foods that are allowed to be consumed in certain religions as well. Um, and also consider um, looking at key nutritional issues faced within the community too. Um, and this actually helps with our grant applications in terms of receiving funding to fund our services. Um, because we just wanted to make sure that the services, you know, not did not only meet their health and nutritional needs, but also reflected their cultural backgrounds and religions too. So um, based on that, you know, I so that was all the way in 2016. So, you know, I've always had a passion for ensuring that there's more diversity within um, health and nutrition, within the health and nutrition field, and in terms of the advice that you know, we give to the community or to patients or to our clients. Um, and so when I went into dietetics, I realised that this still there's still more work to be done in terms of raising awareness of the importance of diversity. 
And so when I qualified as a dietitian, well, I'm still a dietitian, but you know, when I qualified, um, I took it upon myself to use my social media platform to not only talk about my research or provide, you know, general public health information, but then also provide information tailored towards my community too, as a lot of my family members and friends and friends of friends follow me. Um, and, you know, within my community specifically, we are known for viral WhatsApp messages. <laughs> so literally that's where the majority of some people um, get their information. Um, and so I would often be asked, you know, is this true? Are we just allowed to eat this? Does this cause cancer? And, you know, I just thought, let me just use my social media platform to debunk some common myths and misconceptions within my community. Um, and, you know, as a dietitian, I see clients on a one-to-one -one basis and I also do group education. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned, you know, in the early stages of my career, I realised that there wasn't much resources tailored towards patients and clients from ethnic minority groups. And so, again, I just took it upon myself to create my own resources for my clients because, you know, it's just so important that I assess my clients and patients holistically to not just only consider their health needs or nutritional needs, but then also consider their religion, their the cultural backgrounds, um, the social needs as well. Um, it's just really, really important so that I can better support my patients and clients. Um, and so that's what I've been doing for quite a long time. And, you know, more recently, I've teamed up with some amazing dietitians to, um, to raise awareness um, um, in terms of promoting more diversity. And um, I've teamed with dietitians to create resources for different ethnic minority groups and we've also hosted some webinars as well so um, a couple of months ago um, we hosted a webinar for dietitians, nutritionists and students on cultural diets which was really really good and um, it went for it went on for a bit longer than expected <laughs> but that's because there was so much to talk about and um, so we said that next time we will do it in parts but I must say that there are some amazing dietitians who are raising awareness of the importance of diversity. And I just literally have to, you know, shout out some of the dietitians who are doing some amazing work, like Jasmine Carbon, who you've had um, in the previous podcast, um, and Jean Coley, Heartbeat Soul Health, and Shola Aladipo, Kayera Simpson, and Shanez Bashir, Belinda Namudu, and Nessa Targin, and there's so many others out there who are literally doing the good work and, you know, trying to promote more diversity within the workforce. Absolutely. And thank you so much for mentioning those names, because many of them are on Instagram as well, aren't they? Yes, they are. They are. They're very active on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, go, go and give them a follow, definitely. Um, yes. You mentioned that you've been using your social media platforms to inform and educate your followers about um, nutrition advice that might be relevant to their cultural or um, religious background, for example. Could you give us a few examples of recent posts that you've done and how they've been received by your followers? Yes, yeah, sure. So um, 
I guess the first post I did, which was a bit of a controversial one, then my community was um, on Supermalt. And so that was the first ever post I did. I think I did that in 2019. Um, and the reason why I did that post is because so Supermalt is a malted beverage that is typically consumed by some people within the Black community, so Africans and Caribbeans, um, although some ethnic minority groups do consume it as well. Um, but, you know, literally, um, based on my personal experience, when I go to parties or gatherings, we will always see crates of super malt just being stacked on the table. And the reason why I wanted to create that um, infographic in terms of letting people know the sugar content of super malt it's just because we typically consume it for most of us anyway and not many people are aware about the sugar content of um, certain beverages um, and so you know I did that infographic just to let people know that it's okay to drink super malt but just be mindful of how much you're drinking it and how often you're drinking it because it's quite high in free sugars. And just to put things in context, you know, it's recommended that, you know, in the UK, adults have no more than 30 grams of free sugars um, a day. Um, and in one bottle of soup malt, it's about 42 grams of free sugars. Wow. And so normally, um, well, I could just speak on my household, we don't just have one bottle. You know, one bottle doesn't satisfy us. We need to have about two or three bottles. <laughs> and so um, just based on my experience, life with friends, etc., you know, I just thought, let me just create that. And literally it went viral. Um, a lot of people reshared it. So it even went on some um, gossip some some gossip um social media platform and because people are just shocked and um, because it's something that we drink all the time but we're not really mindful of like the sugar content of it and so it was i would say i got mixed responses so some people were just like wow like this is very educational some people were just like oh ty you're just trying to um spoil the fun for us leave us alone <laughs> we don't want to know i'm still going to carry on drinking my super malt and i just had to be like listen i'm not telling you not to drink it you know i'm a firm believer of not restricting anything in my diet it's all in moderation right and um, so i said to them you know i'm not telling you to stop drinking super malt it's just about being mindful of it and just providing use with some education because it's not really known um, how much sugar is in super malt. Um, but you know, the majority of people who saw the post actually really appreciated it um, and they told me to create more um, information on certain um, drinks and certain foods and just provide general advice. Um, so after that, I then created other content in terms of um, common seasonings used in certain African households. Um, and that was just to raise awareness about the salt content of some of the key or common seasonings that we tend to use and just encouraging people to just be mindful of how much they use in their cooking and to look for other alternatives and um, to reduce their salt intake. Um, I've also created um, infographics on healthy eating tips for African and Caribbean individuals. Um, and yeah, just created quite um, some, some useful um, posts. 
And in terms of my inspiration for creating these posts, it's based on my personal experience, you know, growing up in an African household, growing up with friends from African and Caribbean backgrounds, but then also from my patients as well and clients. And um, also on social media as well, I do get a lot of people asking me, oh, Ty, can you create a post about this? Or what are your thoughts on this? And so I guess I get, all of my inspirations from from them um so yeah <laughs> no thank you so much for sharing that I think when we chatted a few weeks ago you also mentioned you did a post on rinsing chicken and that got quite an oh interesting <laughs> yes can you tell us more oh my gosh yes so um oh gosh so I was having a conversation with my friends um and um, we were just talking about, you know, how we cook certain foods in our culture. And then I just said to them, oh, but, you know, I don't know how the conversation came up, but we just spoke about washing chicken. And typically in most African households and Caribbean households as well, actually, um, we tend to wash our chicken before we cook it or wash, wash all chicken before cooking it. Um, but from a food safety perspective, um, it's advised that we don't wash raw chicken because it can spread harmful bacteria um, and, you know, only cooking it can kill the bacteria. Um, so when I created this post, I knew that some people will be very, very shocked by this um, because, you know, some people have grown up just washing chicken um, and some people have the beliefs that, you know, washing ch raw chicken can get rid of germs or dirt. It can kill the bacteria. And um, some people tend to wash chicken with water and lemon and vinegar in hopes that it will kill the bacteria. And I just literally have to debunk some of the misconceptions that, you know, washing raw chicken doesn't get rid of the bacteria only cooking it will and especially at very high temperatures um but then again it was very um unusual <laughs> for some people to um see that post that you're not supposed to be washing chicken and this shows that you know when it comes to nutrition but then not only when it comes to nutrition but then in terms of food preparation that tradition plays a huge role in terms of how people eat um, and how people um, prepare their foods as well. Um, and, you know, in, in certain tradition and, and in certain cultures, you know, washing chicken is the norm. You know, you have to wash chicken before um, cooking it, especially in my household. My mum always told us, before you cook the chicken, make sure you wash it. She'll tell us to wash it in the sink and everything. Um, but then from a food safety perspective, you know, it can um, spread harmful bacteria. And it's just something to just be mindful of um, in terms of ensuring good food safety and good food hygiene when preparing chicken. But, you know, a lot of people said, we're still going to wash our chicken anyway. Um, you know, I don't care if it's good bacteria. And... Um, we're still going to be washing our chicken. And, you know, sometimes there's that, I guess, barrier between culture and food, food safety guidelines, nutrition guidelines. And it's just something that we need to consider that, you know, some people, you know, 
are used to eating a, a certain type of way or are used to preparing certain foods in a certain type of way and you you know you can't force them to change and that's something that I've literally had to um, be mindful of that I can't force anyone you know my responsibility is just to provide the information and help people make better informed decisions and I guess it's just literally up to them whether they want to listen to it and take it into consideration or just, you know, do what they feel like they want to do. And and that's totally okay. You know, it's just really important that at least I just put the information out there. And I like to see it as me just sowing seeds. So maybe at that point of time, they may not change straight away. But maybe eventually they will. And that's what makes me want to continue putting out information out there because um, I feel like the more you just put the information out there, the more it will just be easier for people to read. It'll be in people's faces. Um, and they may be able to reflect on certain habits that they are used to doing and may consider you know, changing in the future. But um, yes, that post about washing chicken, um, <laughs> you know, a lot of people didn't agree with that. <laughs> I think that's probably going to apply to most dietitians working with various different patient groups. You can mm-hmm. give them as much information and inform and educate them on the topic. But ultimately, mm-hmm. it's, it's down to the patient, isn't it, to make the decision as to whether or not they're going to change. Yes, absolutely. You talked about making sure that nutrition guidelines, public health information and and food safety information is suitable and accessible for all population groups and ethnic groups. How can dietitians um, make sure that the information that they're giving, not not just dietitians, but also on a wider level with nutritional guidelines, how can we make sure that that information is inclusive of all population groups? Yeah, sure. So... I would say that when it comes to um, creating information or making resources, um, the, one of the ways to make it inclusive is to include certain cultural foods um, as examples. Um, because I feel like when you include um, certain foods um, in these resources or information, um, it gives people a sense of, I guess, a sense of belonging because, you know, food is more than nutrition for some people and food is more than that. And food can be a way of um, embracing your culture. It can be a way of embracing your tradition. And it's just so important that this is reflective in these guidelines, in these information and resources so I would say just, you know, including um, cultural foods, examples and in information. It can also be um, creating ethnic specific or culture specific um, resources. So maybe creating um, information sheets tailored towards the African community or Um, information sheets tailored towards the Caribbean community or South Asian community or Turkish community etc and I would also say that um, not just from a ethnic perspective but then also from a religious perspective as well because 
you know, in certain religions, um, nutrition plays a huge role in terms of um, what foods to eat and what foods not to eat. So I would say um, maybe with dietitians and maybe in hospitals or within the community, they can consider creating um, resources tailored towards different faith groups. So, you know, in this current season, it is Ramadan. And so I I do know that there are um, some dietitians who've created resources in hospitals and even on social media um, on nutrition and Ramadan um, providing tips on how individuals can improve their nutrition um, once they've broken their fast um, and, and things like that and I feel like it's so important because um, it, actually, it helps to just educate people from all types of backgrounds um, so yeah so these are some of the ways that we can um make our information more diverse um, I know that there are certain um, health and nutrition websites who've um, included uh, different cultural diets and considered the nutritional considerations um, for people from different ethnic groups so I think that there needs to be more of that done. Definitely. And you also do a lot of work in the media as a spokesperson. So I'm wondering if you feel that there's sufficient diversity and representation of dietitians from different ethnic backgrounds in the media. And if not, why not? And what can we do, do you think, to address this? Um, So I think it's a work in progress. Um, I think it's important. I think it's just important for dietitians from different backgrounds to just put themselves out there and um, just believe in themselves. And I think as long as we are qualified to be dietitians, we are equally as capable to be featured in newspapers, magazines, or on TV. Um, So for me personally, um, you know, I wasn't, I didn't really contact um, the media and be like, hey, you know, include me in your newspaper or magazines. I literally just started off just being active on social media, just putting myself out there, trying to showcase more diversity. Um, and, you know, that's when I was contacted by um, different media outlets. Um, and at first I was a bit surprised because, you know, I guess, you know, there are some, especially when I felt like I didn't really belong in the workforce or I didn't really fit, you know, the idea of what a dietitian looks like. I was really, really shocked. But then, you know, I just had to believe in myself and believe that, you know, I am a qualified dietitian. I am very much capable of providing nutritional advice. I'm very much capable of helping individuals as well so you know literally when I had that self-belief and um, I was able to put myself out there and then you know the right people will contact you. Yeah and it's it's disappointing to hear that you felt that way um, because I've seen the work that you've done in the media and you're a fantastic voice of championing the profession and I'm really glad that you've you found that voice and um you know enjoy doing it and have these opportunities coming your way why do you think that dietetics up until recently perhaps has been so lacking in diversity do you think there are any reasons behind that 
that, uh, I mean, I really don't know because I would say that I'm quite, mm, I would say I'm quite junior to the profession, if I'm being honest. It's not like I've been a dietitian for 10, 15, 20 years. So, you know, I'm not really sure how it was like previously before I became a dietitian. Um, but I would say, you know, when I became a dietitian, um, at first I didn't see anyone who, much people who looked like me, but then when I came on social media, you know, I was connected with other black dietitians and um, other dietitians from different groups, um, ethnic minority groups. And I'm not sure, I guess it's just, I think I can't really say because first of all, I don't know the data in terms of how many, uh, in terms of how many ethnic minority groups or dietitians from ethnic minority groups are in the UK. Um, so I can't really say, um, but I guess just looking online, you do see a lot of um, dietitians who, you know, don't look like me. Um, and I'm not really sure why that's the case. Um, you now I was told that dietetics is quite, it's quite a new profession. Um, and I was also told that, you know, dietetics um, is that, I, I guess I'm basically trying to say that I can't, I, I don't really know why there is a lack of diversity in dietetics. Um, but what I do know is that, you know, we are trying to change the narrative um, and do what we can individually as a collective to ensure that there is more diversity um, in dietetics. So whether that's um, going into schools or colleges or universities and telling people, you know, join our profession, we are great. <laughs> um, trying to encourage um, people from ethnic minority groups to join the profession, um, just raising our profile online, maybe that might inspire someone um to apply to do the course in dietetics so yeah i think we're just trying to do what we can do to just um improve more diversity yeah i think it's a really interesting area to discuss because like you said there's not much published research or statistics on this so a lot mm -hmm. of it is sort of anecdotal or perhaps um based mm -hmm. on our own observations and i should mention it's not just um ethnicity and when we talk about diversity of course it yes. comes gender, ages, um, sexual yes. orientation, disabilities. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be um, discussing some of those topics in terms of diversity in later episodes on the Dietitian's Cafe. So it's really interesting that we've got this conversation going. I think you're quite right. There aren't necessarily answers to some of these questions, but the yes. most important <laughs> thing is we get that conversation going and try to evoke change in the profession. Yes, absolutely. I just wanted to go back to a point that you made earlier. You, you talked about faith interventions for nutrition. And I think that's really interesting because when we chatted recently, you mentioned um, some interventions that some fellow dietitians that you, you know have been involved in to reach different um, ethnic groups of their, their local population. Can you tell me a bit more about that and how it worked? Yeah, sure. So, um... So, you know, I mentioned that, you know, prior to becoming a dietitian, I was a um, community and public health nutritionist, and we did a lot of work within the community. And one of 
my task was to do independent research in terms of um, looking at uh, what were the key barriers to change within certain ethnic minority groups and also um, look at key factors that influences um, individuals' eating habits. Um, and, and one of the things that we noticed was that religion um, can play a role um, in, um, I guess, can play a role in influencing some individuals' eating habits and food choices as well. Um, so, you know, um, in so those who identify themselves as Muslims, and um, we know that, you know, some people um, have to avoid certain foods or they can eat only certain foods um, based on their religion. And um, in Christianity as well, depending on, um, I guess, the, the season or depending on um, the religious, I guess, events that are happening, they would have to um, consume certain types of foods, not all Christians, but some Christians. And when we were doing that independent research, um, we got a lot of interest from um, people in the community. And um, some people saying that, oh, Ty, you know, you and your um, organisation should come to our church or come to our mosque to um, live our nutrition sessions. And, you know, you know, we were just like, oh, really? oh that's, 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 yeah, that's a really good idea. We would love to do that. Um, and, you know, we delivered a lot of nutrition sessions in churches. And, you know, I, took again, took it upon myself <laughs> to just do more research and, you know, if there, if there was anything out there in terms of faith-based interventions. And I was really, really surprised that there was a lot of research showing that faith-based institutions can be a great place to support people in their journey towards a healthier lifestyle. Um, and, you know, I really encourage all nutrition professionals to consider working with faith groups because, I mean, it's just so rewarding working with them and just providing nutritional advice to them um, and you know I do know a dietitian who's actually doing her PhD and um, looking at faith-based institutions specifically churches um, and looking at nutrition interventions in churches and seeing whether that influences health outcomes um, so there is a place out there for us to um, work with faith group leaders or work with individuals who um go to um, certain faith-based institutions wow. to um, provide um, nutrition advice. Um, so, yes. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's um, really interesting and particularly relevant at the moment. As you mentioned, uh, we're in the middle of Ramadan and, of course, there are religious festivals throughout the year. And I think these are great opportunities for, for dietitians to engage with perhaps population groups that, might otherwise be harder to reach. So just as we come to the end of this podcast, Ty, I wanted to ask you um, a couple more questions. So first of all, how do you think we can better incorporate diversity into student dietitian training? Um, so I would say that there's lots of ways we can do that, actually. Um, so one of the ways can be... Um, doing more webinars that focuses on diversity and equality in dietetics or 
focuses on cultural diets, for example. Um, so that's one of the ways we can incorporate diversity um, in dietetic training. Um, other ways can be inviting guest lecturers from um, of um, who can be dietitians from different types of backgrounds, and it doesn't even have to be from um, ethnic minority groups, but it can be um, dietitians um, who may have disabilities um, or dietitians from different sexual orientations. Um, so that can just be a way to um, incorporate more diversity. Um, it can be doing case studies on patients from different backgrounds. Um, you know, when I did my OSCEs, um, which is like, <laughs> which at the time was like such a nightmare <laughs> for, for, for me and my dietetic um, colleagues. But, you know, the OSCEs can be um, a great way of actually incorporating diversity. So um, in the OSCEs preparations, it can be using patients um, from different backgrounds. Um, so these are just some ways of incorporating um, diversity in dietetic training. Um, I guess even maybe finding a way to, I'm not sure how the curriculum works now, but maybe um, doing a module, just literally focusing on diversity from all from all types. So literally it can be from an ethnic point of view or um, looking at disabilities or looking at sexual orientation. Um, so that can be, again, one way to um, incorporate more diversity. Yeah, those are really great ideas. I especially like the OSCEs idea because I remember back to my university days, very nervously preparing for those examinations. Um, but I don't remember a huge amount of diversity featuring in the, the case studies that we were given. So I think that's definitely a a great suggestion. Um, do you have any tips for qualified dietitians who may or may not um, identify as being from an ethnic minority background, but it may be something that they're, you know, equally passionate about engaging with? How can they better integrate diversity into their own dietetic practice? So I would say, you know, networking with other dietitians from different ethnic minority groups. I mean, there's no harm in, you know, contacting someone and wanting to get more information about um, a specific cultural diet or just wanted to just know more information. Um, it can also be um, reading books um, um, that focuses on cultural diets. Um, so, I, so I know that there are some books out there. Um, so for example, um, I think in the previous podcast, I did mention some books, um, but I guess I will just repeat it again. Um, but, you know, for example, Carbs and Cows, they have um, a World Foods book, which focuses on foods from African, Caribbean and South Asian backgrounds so that can just be a way to just be familiar with um certain foods and see what it looks like um, and and also in terms of the names of certain foods as well um there's also um a book which i'm sure most dietitians know already but then there's a multicultural handbook of food nutrition and dietetics which is like a big red book um which has the map of the world on it um so that's also a really really 
good handy book and then there's also certain websites out there as well um that um dietitians can um get more information from as well um and then i would also say um as well as working with or networking with dietitians from different ethnic groups um again there's no harm in also just doing your own research and you know your own reading as well um I know in certain hospitals they do general clubs so it, it can also be um I guess looking at a case study um of a patient from an ethnic minority group who was consuming a traditional diet um and then you know allowing other dietitians who do further reading in terms of um you know what's you know in terms of I guess what other cultural foods are consumed within um in certain ethnic groups um it can also be creating um ethnic specific <clears throat> and religious specific resources for patients um so yes I think these are some ways to for dietitians to um get more information in terms of cultural diets um but then there's there's no harm literally in asking other dietitians we're all here to help each other so um yeah you know networking with other dietitians uh, maybe inviting the dietitian to um come to your hospital to host the gender club for example as i mentioned or you know um getting a dietitian to host the webinar um so yeah so these are just some ways to yeah and create more diversity some great ideas there and i i really liked before when we we had a chat you mentioned creating a ready reckoner of different sort of culturally appropriate foods for different population groups and i think dietitians love their ready reckoners don't they they carry them oh, yes. everywhere <laughs> yes they do we all do yes yeah. and i think it's also to um also say that it's so important to not make any assumptions as well. So let's say you see a patient from a West African background, you don't assume that, you know, they eat jello fries, basically. Um, so it's so important to be mindful that um, there are certain individuals um, from different ethnic minority groups who may not consume their traditional diets, but still, it's just important to just be aware of different traditional diets just in case you are faced with a patient or client who does consume that, if, if I'm making sense. Yeah, totally. I think that comes back to putting the patient at the heart of the consultation, patient yes. care, and you know, trying to get as much information from the patient themselves rather than going with a preconceived idea about what you think they're going to be eating um, but really letting them, you know, give as much information to you. Yes, 100%. So we're just coming to the end of the podcast, and I wanted to ask you for my final question. In an ideal world, if money was no object, and you were to be working at government and public health level, what would be the number one thing that you would implement in order to diversify nutrition advice so that it's suitable for different population groups? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so I would fund a lot of health and nutrition services and group education um, tailored towards <clears throat> different ethnic minority groups in the community and in hospitals. Um, I would fund organisations to create resources um, for again, different ethnic minority groups, um, create a lot of campaigns and adverts diversifying nutritional advice. Um, I would also love to see health programs focusing on ethnic minority groups and nutrition on mainstream TV. Um, because typically, you know, when I watch TV and look at certain nutrition um, nutrition documentaries, um, focusing on like healthy lifestyles or weight management or you know reducing your risk of certain um chronic um conditions you know i don't really see much tailored or any at all tailored towards um ethnic minority groups i would say that if you go on certain ethnic specific channels then maybe you might find um some programs there but then on mainstream tv like good bbc or your channel four um you know you don't really see much you know programs tailored or focusing on ethnic minority groups and so i would love to see you know more programs focusing on that so i guess i would you know guess spend some of the money <laughs> on um you know hiring film directors or videographers to actually um yeah capture these programs so i guess these are some of the things i would do also maybe create some books as well um of resources that um some people might find helpful i guess as we are a lot of people are very into social media or just always on their phone i think there's a space for um apps you know uh, there's a lot of health apps out there um and some of them are really really generic so it would be quite nice actually to um see um health apps that um you know again focuses on ethnic minority groups and maybe that can also be linked with the NHS as well because I know that the NHS do have um certain apps for um for patients so it would be quite nice to see something more culturally specific I think you've just created your own business idea there yes you know what I just literally as I was saying that I was like oh my gosh I should be writing this down because that's actually a good idea yeah I, I, I think you know there's such a gap on television like you said for for diet programs that focus more on diversity and different population groups you're you're already in the media so hopefully maybe someone from the BBC is listening who knows yes <laughs> Well, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and talking about your own experiences so openly. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the podcast today. And thank you very much for our listeners for tuning in. I hope that you also found um, this episode really useful for your own learning. And just a note to say, if you do enjoy the Dietitian Cafe, please do leave us a five-star rating and even a review because that helps us to reach more dietitians and to spread the word. And tune in because our next uh, episode of Dietitian Cafe will be coming very soon. Thank you.